And in three, two, one. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Investment Property Income Podcast. My name is Jeff Eady. Joining me today is one of Canada's top mortgage brokers, the strawberry to my daiquiri, Mr. Jonathan Tilger. Jonathan, how are you today? I'm, uh, well, let's see, strawberry to daiquiri. So that means I'd be swimming around, maybe a little bit tipsy from having a few too many. Hey, I'm doing awesome yourself. I'd love to see that. I've never seen you drink. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, hey, I've, I've, uh, I've like had a half a bottle of wine this year so far. <laughs> pretty sure i had that last night Anyhow. sounds like last night <laughs> <laughs> today we have a very special guest joining us uh, one of my favorite people in the world uh i guess you could call him a new yorker i don't know what they call connecticut people connecticut connecticut can can't even say it connecticutians <laughs> yankees yankees Okay, fair. <laughs> Coming to us all the way from Park City, Utah. He has been a realtor. He has been an investor. Well, he is an investor, has owned multifamily properties, now is an investment banker, and just found out he had a lead certification at one point. One of my good friends, Mr. David Hirsch. David, how are you today, sir? Fantastic. A pleasure to be with you guys. Uh, this is awesome. I'm so happy that you were uh, able to get on here because uh, I figured trying to schedule weeks in advance or, or stuff like that doesn't work with you. So I texted you last night. You're like, yeah, sure. Perfect. Perfect timing. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, um, David, I know you're not. Uh, do you still own multifamily properties or do you? Yeah, we own about four properties in Southern California, me and my brother. Nice. And how long have you been doing that? I think we're. We just kind of passed our fifth year. Um, oh, so you're still fairly new at the game. Relatively new. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would say sort of um, feels like we're in a full cycle now by now because we're actually in the process of refinancing the four properties with a Fannie Mae kind of blanket loan. Uh, dealing with mm -hmm. the U.S. government is every bit as difficult as you can imagine. Um, <laughs> I'm here from the government, and I'm, and I'm here to help. I'm here to help, exactly <laughs> right. So, so just, just, just going through the time frame here. So you basically you were in real estate, and then it's kind of as you got out of real estate, you said, "Well, now it's time to own real estate." Is that how it went? Um, yeah, because because um, the, the, the two different things. One was kind of to do transactions to make money, and the other is to kind of invest in um, generational wealth uh, vehicles. Yeah, so well, you, you started as a realtor. Sorry, Justin. Started as a realtor, really, really to just kind of dabble. So I got a license in California and I got a license in New York and uh, joined a big realty firm and found out right away this is not for me. This is just, uh, <laughs> just not for me. <laughs> but, but, but saying that, you, you see the value that only real estate long term can be, which is wonderful. Yeah, it, it, it really it, two sides of the same of the same coin. Um, transacting in the commercial world as a broker is very different than owning in the commercial world as a as an owner. Um, yep. And I absolutely see the value of long term ownership of real estate. Um, but there's some interesting nuances that I'm happy to chat about. Well, what, one of the interesting things, do you, do you know Brian Buffini? Have you heard heard that name? He's uh, he's for those who don't know. He's if you're not in real estate, you probably don't know the name. I recognize he's, the name, but I don't yeah, know. He's him he, he, he's one of the real estate trainers that's out there. He was a realtor for a lot of years. <clears throat> but one thing, I mean, I'm obviously in mortgages, but I've come across some of his things. I, I attended one of his courses. But one thing that he said that I really liked, and well, there's several things he said I really liked, but one that really stuck with me, and that is, I made a living selling real estate. I made a fortune. 
owning real estate. I think that's a pretty a pretty good uh, way to look at it. Uh, and, and, and it's a, you know, I, I find the real estate business, the owner side, ownership side of things, interesting in a couple of ways. It's, it's a very simple business model and having owned and run businesses, operating businesses with lots of parts and manufacturing elements, it, it moves really slowly. You know, you, you, you get a tenant in, they're there for a few years, eventually they move out. So your income stream, we, we're, we're small owners, we own 35 units in a couple of buildings. Um, but it really moves slowly and it's very interesting. It's, um, it's interesting, it's a, it's a simple business, really that has a lot to do with how you set it up. And then it's kind of, you know, it's almost like pushing a rock to the top of the hill. Now it's gonna run. Mm-hmm. Once you set it up, it mostly runs with a, a relatively light hand mm-hmm. paying attention to it. So you obviously don't live in, is it California you own them in, right? Yes, it's uh, Southern California. We own in Long Beach and uh, my little brother actually lives in Southern California. So he's pretty close. Okay. Uh, about a half hour or so, 40 minutes away, which is is helpful because we have a management company that we pay to do the day-to-day. <clears throat> but when issues come up, for example, two weeks ago, we had an issue come up and one of the young ladies who manages, helps manage a property said, well, this, um, this area of a, a connecting, well, sidewalk, elevated kind of sidewalk, we need to replace it for four or $5,000. You can send the money in <laughs> or you can say, you know what, why don't I come down and take a peek? Of course, she was right. We needed to. But being able to physically see it and understand it, you're just, for me and my brother, we were able to tie it better as to, okay, now I understand what this problem is if I can physically come see it. So I think there's real value to having the ability to go to your facility. Definitely. One, one question on that, and because and, you say about, okay, problems come up. So you own multiple buildings. You own four buildings, 35 units between them. And one of the biggest, I'll say, obstacles, a lot of people that I hear from people, I don't want to own real estate because I don't, I mean, they think about the problems that can come up. They think about, I mean, I always hear the line, I don't want to get a call at two o'clock in the morning about a leaky toilet. I personally never experienced that. But uh, so if you go through your, your 35 units, how often do problems come up? Daily. Daily? Like are, Daily. are these big, th- big things or small things? Depends where you sit. (laughs) (laughs) If it's your unit and the plumbing isn't working, it's a big problem. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If you're the manager or the owner, it's another thing that needs to be worked on. So it's a a big problem for your tenant. Um, And it ultimately becomes a big problem for you as the owner because goodwill is something that's important. Uh, You... In our opinion, you want your tenants to feel that they're thought of as important parts of your uh, constituency, let's call it. Uh, you know, they're, they're not, it's not the main game. We're not clearly, you know, providing the housing that's, you know, we're not that altruistic, but there's two sides to the coin. You know, if you treat people well, typically treat your, end, treat your right in return. Yeah, well, I, I like to look at it as, so if you're in sales, 
and you're getting a client who's paying you what somewhere fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars, you're making fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars in revenue off that client every single month. Is that a valuable client to you in sales? It sure is. I think that's yeah. a great way to look at it. I really, I, I've never looked at it that way, but I really think that's a, it's a, a thoughtful it, way to. Approach. Yeah, and so I mean, I, I, I've owned, I haven't owned as many units as you, but I have owned several units. And yeah, if you if you treat your clients that way, and you look and say, hey, listen, if I'm in sales and I've got someone who's paying, writing me a check, I'm making this much off them every single month. Is that a valuable client to be in sales? One hundred percent, it is. Now you have that same per- person who's a tenant. Then suddenly they get overlooked by by a lot of landlords, which doesn't make sense to me. It's this disconnect. You, you know, I think that actually comes back to kind of the, the thought that, that that you kind of prefaced the conversation with of I don't want to get called at two in the morning, and and that's a um, it's a real concern. It's a concern that we share, and the way we mitigate that issue is we go and we hire a management company that that's what they do for a living. They yeah. take the call at two in the morning. Someone's assigned each night to, as needed, to take those emergency calls. So it's a significant reduction in earnings for the owners, us in this case, but it mitigates some of the, let's call them less pleasant elements of managing this small business. And, and, from, and that's from what, what each, each building is, it's a small business. And, and from what you said about it, your, your thinking your thinking, and this was always my thinking with real estate, is it's a long-term play. Yes, uh, if I make some money in the short term, if I make some cash flow monthly, it's great. But I'm thinking more about the long-term growth of this as an investment for myself. So if I pay a little bit in the short term to help grow the asset long-term, it's, it's valuable to me that way. We, we, we view it the same way. We view it the same way. And, and, and that actually, what, what you just suggested, really affects the strategy of acquisition. You know, if you if you go in and buy a stable asset, something that's kicking off, call it four or five percent cash flow now, and has a um, you know an internal rate of return expectation of 13, 14, 15 percent, um, it's a long run play. Yeah. That, that's that's what you're doing. You, and and the the real world is if you get get these assets out three to seven years. You can generally do a pretty significant refinance, take a large portion of your investment out. And if you're committed to the kind of the platform, you typically take your refinance out and dump it back into new properties. And that's actually what we're contemplating right now. In, that's in called a 1031, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> no, uh, a 1031 is on a transaction. So I sell my property. Oh, okay. I for a dollar, I sell it for $2. I have a $1 gain. Instead of paying that gain, I take the $2 and I buy a new property. Because oh, yeah. if you're borrowing the money against the property, you're not going to have to pay tax either way, right? Yeah, that makes well, sense. Well, the refinance is is really, the refinance is the juice. <laughs> that's, that's the game, um, the big picture game. Because every, let's say, five, six, seven years, you can refinance tax-free. Tax yeah. yeah, that's the key. The money comes out tax free. And owning multifamily, do you think that strategy is different than the single family? Or is it almost yes. exactly the same? Um, yes, on, 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 on a couple of levels. Um, it, it, 
the single family game is a, is a really interesting and, and, you know, everybody gets the same newspapers, uh, super dynamic market. And, and when the KKRs get into it and, you know, the super large players uh, are in that area, 50, 100,000 homes, you, you can quickly see if you have 100,000 homes and maybe you have 1,000 folks who are not rented, well, that's not that big a deal. You know, it's a 99% occupancy. It's pretty darn good. Um, if you own five homes <laughs> and you have one not rented, you've got a pretty significant uh, occupancy issue. <laughs> uh, so I think it's a scale game. Mm-hmm. And, and, and um, some really sophisticated players are playing there now. And, and you know, I don't want to fight against guys like KKR. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, Blackstone's way smarter than I am. <laughs> you know? and, 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 and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to fight guys like that. I think it's a bad bet. Whereas if you go into the multifamily and, and, and both markets are really fragmented, but the multifamily market is fantastically fragmented. Um, uh, I, I believe the number, and, and this is from a recollection is well under 10% is in any type of institutional hands. Really? As massive as it is. And, and, and we, we all know the equity, resident, you know, all these related, et cetera. And they have tens of thousands of units, but there are millions of units. And there are a lot of warm bodies in the United States. So that's all saying privately owned people. Privately owned, correct. And I think a lot, a lot of the time wow. you get somebody who bought the unit 30, 40 years ago and they just, hey, they see the value in it and they say, well, why would I want to sell it? Why would I want to move it when I know that I can keep renting it? You know, and just, just kind of on a um, kind of a personal thought that generated off what you just said, one of the things I find so compelling about the asset class is a lot of foreigners <laughs> see it as the, as the ticket. Because you actually own something, you know. We all know what it is to buy, you know, an equity, and and sure, you own a piece of a company, but you own, you know, one ten thousandth of a of a Apple stock or whatever you have. Whereas if you buy a two unit home and you live in the bottom, and you get some rent upstairs, and as Jonathan said, you get out a generation or two. Now you own the home, so you're six hundred to fifteen hundred dollars in rent really goes to the bottom line. You know, you have a couple hundred bucks in cost. Um, it's, 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 it's quite a compelling asset. Um, and then as one maybe moves up an economic ladder, you get out of that second unit. Now you're renting the entire building and you go into a four or six unit building. Same exercise. Um, you know, so it's I funny. It's very interesting that, 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 that foreign nationals and, and emigres to the United States uh, generally you're able to accumulate wealth. And I'm thinking about my Greek friend now, who's, you know, my peer and has been buying homes, uh, apartments for 20 years, mm-hmm. you know, not, not, not a thousand units at a pop, but three here, five there, 10 there. Before you turn around, it's a, it becomes a pretty significant portfolio and you get out a generation or two and you take all your money out tax free. Well, well, I just look, if you just look at the, the long-term, I mean, Long-term appreciation is somewhere between three and a half and 4%. Forget about, I mean, forget about the spikes that have happened the past few years, which have been, I mean, accelerated by super low interest rates and everything else. 
the reality is the long-term appreciation. If you look at it somewhere, somewhere three to four, three and a half to four, somewhere in there. And that's just stable growth year over year. And especially if you're able to leverage on that, that's where, that's where, as you say, you're getting your, your 13, 14, 15% uh, rates of return because, yeah, and, because and, of that. And then, plus, they go, and then they go parabolic from there. Once yeah. you start pulling your money out, you know, if you have a dollar in and you make 10 cents, you're making 10%. You now take out 60 cents from that dollar. You have 40 cents in the deal. <laughs> now, you're, now your dollar or 10% becomes 25% return on investor yeah. capital. Yeah. It, it very quickly goes to a, a rather obscene rate of return. And, and at the end of the day, it's even if you don't do anything else, just the cash flow, you've got an asset that's continuing to grow year over year, month over month. While you're getting a monthly cash flow paying off of it, the monthly cash flow does not affect the value of the asset at all. If any, if anything, as that as that monthly cash flow increases, which it does through appreciation, the value of that asset goes up as a result of that increase in cash flow. Yeah, and it also goes up just as a matter of course because you raise your rents on folks yeah. anywhere from you know one to five percent a year. Um, you sort of weigh what environment you're in. Right now in Southern California, for example, it, it, as it so happens, I literally reviewed our rents this morning. Um, uh, not a setup. Boy, I want you in the audience. <laughs> yeah, right? It's like, it happens to be true. Um, and, and my brother and I were saying, you know, we're going to be a little aggressive this time. And last round say 12 to 18 months ago, we're in the middle of COVID. We're not really getting all our rents paid. You know, it's a fairly dicey situation and people, you know, we're in the workforce housing sector. We're not in the luxury sector. Um, our folks, you know, uh, our doctors, nurses, teachers, and um, you know, factory workers and, and, and restaurant workers. And there was a pretty significant hit in that segment. So last round of raises, we were one and a half to 2%. This round we're thinking four to five because we believe we're undervalued. Again, we're in a workforce place. Our, our rents in Southern California are about the cheapest rents you can get and at the beach community. So wow. we like that sector of the market. What one would call that maybe the B or B minus market. All right, what's, you know, what's, really, what's the average rent there? 1600 a month. Wow. Well, it's not, not unexpensive, but, but you're talking about a beach community in Southern California. Yeah. You know, so, you know it's really the, the adjacent communities around Long Beach. If you come up maybe 15 minutes to the north are Manhattan Beach, Hermosa Beach. The same product is $3,200. Wow. <laughs> so we have, we have the cheapest product out there. That's and we crazy. like that sector of the market. We, 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 we think that's a strong place to be. Why such a price difference to a neighboring community? Um, it's really Long Beach hasn't responded to the explosive growth in Southern California. Um, you know, really it's been three generations. Um, Long Beach has always been the town that should explode. And just doesn't seem to get there, but it's actually moving along pretty well now. Last the 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 memo got out in the last five years. We we were, 
I don't want to say we were early. We were probably right where we should be. And we, we got quite fortunate to have a uh, really bright, uh, forceful broker to uh, uh, help us <laughs> understand the market a little better. So five, six years ago when we started with him, you know, he says, there's only one place to look right now. And, you know, didn't really believe that at first, <laughs> but he was right. Well, it's, it's right. good. It's that's where having a very good real estate person on your best part of your team really comes in, who is looking out for your interests and not necessarily saying, well, I want to do this. I want to do this and saying, you're saying, I want to buy here saying, no, what do you really want to do? Okay. Here's your objective. Well, here's the area you want because of these factors, it's underpriced compared to neighboring communities. I, I agree a hundred percent. And, and even a step further on that, uh, uh, my brother's also a realtor, but he's a residential realtor in that Southern California market. He recognized he's not expert in this commercial area. Yeah. So we paid for a professional to do what you just suggested. And it was a very good decision on our part. And yeah. did you buy all at the same time or did no, you buy- we accumulated probably over three, four years? Okay. What two a meet at the at the beginning and then one about a year later and then another about a year, year and a half later. Was there uh, was there some trepidation over that first purchase? Um, no, no, no. We, 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 we set out to really decide if this was a good place to be over the long run. Um, in the beginning, the first year or two or three, uh, the strategy of extreme value add was a very strong strategy that was effective. So you would take a unit and invest anywhere from twelve to fifteen thousand dollars, improving each unit, and then, you know, turn around, re-rent the visit, re-rent that place for um, that particular unit for a couple hundred bucks more, and you'd realize that significant value-add contribution, and you'd get a return on that value-add. Um, and, and, and the other side of that, by the way, is the old owner had realized their gains already, and were not in the position or didn't want to improve the properties in order. The, the properties don't stay good forever. Money has to be put into real estate. Mm-hmm. The question is who's going to put it in and when. So at some point in your ownership, you, ha- you get to a decision point of, am I going to reinvest or am I going to flip out of the asset? So the seller decides that I'm flipping out the buyer decides, no, this is the time to get in and reinvest in that real estate. So that we decided to go for a value-add play. What I think is interesting is our third building, we did the value-add play. And in retrospect, it might not have been right. It was, it was um, the acquisition strategy. Let me back up a second. The, what we were paying for the renovation was no longer that thirteen to fifteen thousand. It was now closer to twenty-five thousand, and the increase in rents really didn't justify that investment. Mm. But but the original sin was buying the asset. Once you buy it, you're pregnant. You're in. <laughs> I, I I remember. I remember hearing, and, and this goes back years ago before I was in the market or anything else, but talking to people who were experienced in it. And basically they said, and, and, and at the time it didn't make sense, but now that I'm in the business, I understand it makes total sense going, when you make money is when you buy it. 
hundred percent. Everyone thinks, no, you make money when you sell it. No, you've got to find the right asset. And that's where you make the money because if the value's there, you've made money. If the value's not there, if you've overpaid at the time, then you're underwater. Yeah. And, and, and that original sin really can't be overcome. It really can't, you know, you, 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 you're, you're sort of that. The only thing you can kind of control in real estate is your basis. But, but let, all you can control. Let, let, let me you just can't ask. control your cell point. You can't control interest rates. You can't control the environment. But if you buy an asset that's worth a dollar for 99 cents, you controlled your basis. If you buy that dollar asset and overpay it a buck 10, you know, you keep kicking the dog. (laughs) It won't respond. (laughs) No, I just just want to ask you a question on that because yeah, in in the short term right now, initially it was not good, but long-term, you still own that asset that you say you overpaid at that time. Um, I think that's actually a great question. Um, In the, in the long run, it it turned out to be the right move. Yeah. So so in the short run, we weren't real pleased uh, year one and two. And by year three, and this is actually a little bit of a different point also, it was a little higher quality product. So instead of our B minuses, this is a B. The tenant's a little bit better. Um, it's a, it turned out to be a good move. But we also have a rising tide. Yeah. You know, so, so everybody looks really smart when this is <laughs> 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 but that's partly, but but honestly, that's partly uh, it's partly our thesis. Let's be in Southern California, with you know, with, with with all the issues that may exist out there. It's still forty million warm bodies. Uh, it still's probably I, I think the number is the the fifth largest GDP in the world if it were a country. Um, it's a pretty significant place, and there are an awful lot of folks who have to go to work. You know, everybody is not a movie producer, uh, and 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 our tenants go to work. Yeah. So so we, we like where we are in the market segment, um, and we think we're we're in in the right place for long term growth. You've mentioned something a couple of times that I found really interesting. Um, you talked about multi generational wealth or multi generational asset. I want to explore a couple of things around that. First of all, do you want to explain like what that is to you, but then also kind of explain your thinking around it, how you've created the parameters for the future. You know, the, the multi-generational is, is, is a little bit deceiving in that my brother, father, me and my brother and father went into this together and it's part of my dad's estate planning to get his percentage of these assets out of his estate into trust. And that's what we've done. So those assets are now owned by my brother and myself and out of my father's, my mother and father's estate. So it's, it's a pretty effective way to, 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 sh- to move wealth around in a family uh, in a legal long-term approach um so that that's really the approach we've taken so the multi-generational has really been down to me not from me Mm -hmm. um beyond us 
you know, we're beginning to start to talk about for our children who are, you know, grown for, for grown children, but young uh, in the adult world um, and trying to figure out how to, how to play it just as you described for them down the road. But at this point, these are really assets for, for my brother and myself. Um, that's yeah, no, that's something that I, I think real estate, a lot of, I, I think there's kind of two different strategies around that. A lot of people will buy their house, especially in the pension era, buy their house, um, and expect to live on that at some point when they need to downsize and have their extra income or pass that on to their kids. Whereas what you're doing with multifamily and being able to, you know, refinance and build and refinance and build over the long term. That creates a long-term stable cash flow for people coming after you that you don't have to divest. Like as long as they understand how it works, they never have to sell it. They may have to reinvest at some point, but you can set that up in the business to be a part of it. Like condos uh, status certificates do. And I don't know if you guys have those in, in the US, but like they know 25 years down the road, we're going to need to replace the windows. <laughs> you, you know, I think... I think there are a couple ways to skin a cat. Um, one What's idea with you is- and the animals? <laughs> <laughs> you kicked the dog. It's, it's because I haven't had breakfast yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, it, 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 as I mentioned before, you know, you get to the juncture with an asset where there needs to be a reinvestment. And it, it's, um, it's really not rocket science, which I actually appreciate because some of the things I do get closer to that and those are hard. Um, but looking at an asset and saying, do I wanna put X percent of the value of the asset in to, to bring it up to the next level of, of, call it from a B to a B plus, you know, kind of a, a, from a rent and quality perspective. It's really quite easy because of the real estate laws and the tax laws related, as you brought up before the 1031, it's really quite easy to flip out of the asset and maybe move into a higher class asset. So, so what we were talking about before was a value-add strategy where you radically reposition a property. You, The term is retenanting. What does that mean? That means... Kick everybody out. out. <laughs> You're throwing people out. And it's, it's quite an unpleasant process. Um, intellectually, I'm not personally doing it. It's not something that's very pleasant. I mean, it's, you know, you sit down and know, okay, you know, one, two, and three, you're kicking out. It's not really a pleasant thing. You know, even though you're not knocking on the door yourself, you know, <laughs> you know we're kind of moral and <laughs> you know what you do. <laughs> you know, so that's what you're doing. Um Another strategy is moving into stable assets. So for example, if someone bought my properties today, they're stable, they're renovated, they're up to date, they'd cash flow in that five, 6% range. It's a pretty good asset for someone else to come around who doesn't want to throw out a tenant, who wants a stable base. And one of the reasons we've decided to keep the properties is we've done the hard work We've retenanted, we've brought the assets up in quality. Now we have strong tenants, good cash flow, and the buildings are in good shape. This is where you wanted to get. This is the stable asset that you could go out and buy. Mm-hmm. Why would I go look for a stable asset that I can go buy when I have stable assets? Mm-hmm. So it didn't make sense to us to sell right now. Yep. But with respect to what we were kind of saying, 
from generation to generation, sometimes it makes sense to move to a different asset class. Right now, um, kind of on a wrong thought, right now, uh, multifamily is the asset class of choice. Everyone says it's fabulous. It's going to go up forever, which means it's time to start looking elsewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's sure it's perfect. And it, it, it can't be. <laughs> when, when, when the shoe shine boy is giving you a, a stock tip, it's time to get out of the stock market. Time to get out of the stock market. In New York City, we used to call it the cab drivers. Yeah. And the cab drivers telling <laughs> exactly, you what to yeah. put your money in. <laughs> you know it's funny because I, I i won't mention any names but uh, i remember somebody a few years ago and he's not the sharpest guy i've ever met he's 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 a pretty dim bulb to be honest with you and he's telling me all about bitcoin and how he's got his whole family getting into bitcoin and that was on that initial run when it was up around nineteen thousand. and he's like oh i made all this money and it dropped down to like seven grand within a month and it's like, yep, that's that's that is that rule in effect. <laughs> and I mean, he was so passionate, and I felt bad. And there was no way I was going to dissuade him from it. But it's like there is not a chance I'm investing in Bitcoin at this moment because you're telling me about it. You know, I'm, I'm going to give you a, a, a thought that I had several years ago. I was working in a, uh, I had a dot com company in the in the late '90s, and it was a very very exciting endeavor, and uh, had very sophisticated websites and back end databases and a bunch of PhDs and really really interesting stuff we were doing. And you know, we, we, with the bathwater, we got flushed out um, in the in the early two thousands, and you know that was uh, kind of an interesting experience. I walked away from that experience thinking I don't want to reinvent the wheel anymore. I don't want to do something where I have to convince you you need it. This is the future, and you need to be here. Mm. I want to do really staid, basic work. And housing for workforce people, people have to go to work, seem to be a good spot intellectually to retreat to. Ah, people always need housing. People always need housing. And, and, and you know, if, if you consider, because California, if you consider the Beverly Hills and the Bel Air high-end homes, apropos to the earlier question on single families, you know, those, those seem to go up, go down, you know, lots of things can happen. Mm-hmm. For, for the guy, we happen to be very close to Toyota plant. Uh, for the guy who's a maintenance manager at the Toyota plant, you know, he, he, he's not going to the Beverly Hills. You know, he, 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 can, he can, I don't want to say he can really handle the 15, 1600 because it's a burden. Mm-hmm. But he need, that guy or girl, they need to, they need to rent. Yep. And, and we think we provide a pretty good option for them. Um, you know, it's interesting when you talk about like the, the, the ups and downs and the stability of that type of asset. I, I don't know if you know who Ben Mala is. I think we talked about this the other day. Yeah, um, he's a, he's a big time real estate investor out of Florida, but he's got a, a YouTube channel. I think I saw him on vice the first time he's a pretty larger than life character, but it was interesting because he's interesting to watch, but he's going to a, um, I wouldn't quite call it a strip mall, but it was a strip mall. Like they had a, a pretty big anchor tenant space. So you could have put something like a JC Penny in there or something like that. But uh, as he's going through and talking about the businesses, he's talking about being recession proof. He's like, for these smaller units, uh, here's a hairdresser. I love to see that. People always need haircuts. 
And I was like, that's something I've, I've never really, you know, looking at that space, how stable is something based on who's the tenant? Like that is a hundred percent. You've got to start, you, you need to understand them and, and value them. So I, I do a little bit of work professionally and, and, and get involved with the retail world. So that's what you're talking about right there. And, and the hot area of retail in the period we're in now, which is a pretty significant retail readjustment, is what's known as essential retail. Mm-hmm. We have to get our hair cut. Doesn't compete with Amazon. To to rehab for our knee and elbow and shoulder, or for me, you know, all my shoulder injuries. Um, <laughs> don't, uh, don't forget the, 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 na- the nail and, uh, and uh, foot spas. My my friend last night returned from her mani pedi, <laughs> mentioning how fantastic her afternoon was. <laughs> so so these things are very important. They are essential retail. The the you know whether it's the Seven Eleven or or ideally the larger um, supermarket based uh, retail center. Again, whether it's a small strip center. Or a larger, you know, uh, commercial center, larger retail commercial center. You, you know, put an Albertsons in there. That's a big American brand. Or put a Ralph's in there, um, or a Whole Foods. You, you you can build an investment thesis around those things. As a matter of fact, there are investment theses around <laughs> shopping centers. That's just you know, it's kind of one of the very hot areas in retail now. Hmm, that's interesting because it used to be, well, I mean, I, I know a lot of people look at banks as well, but they're not as necessary as a physical footprint anymore. Again, these are just sort of funny things. Well, apropos to, I, I just saw a, a message come up on, you know, this wonderful format of Zoom. We still get our message come up in the corner. So the <laughs> message that just came up is Los Angeles County extends the eviction moratorium. The what, sorry? The eviction moratorium. Oh, oh, I thought you said addiction. Eviction moratorium. No, no, they can't get rid of the addiction moratorium. (laughs) That that, that seems to be a growing business right now. Uh, uh, (laughs) That's a separate podcast. Uh, (laughs) um, But, 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 Kind of, I'm going to bring this back full scale, um, full circle. Uh, okay, we want to invest in real estate. How do you want to go about it? What we chose to do was to try to go through direct ownership. 15 seconds ago, I just alerted you to a direct ownership problem. Mm-hmm. We can't eliminate a tenant who doesn't pay. Mm-hmm. It's, that's a difficult situation to be in as a landlord, as a small landlord. Larger mm-hmm. landlords can play in these places. Um, so that's one way to play. Another way to play in this wealth generation, stable assets, all the things we talked about, is to go find someone who's been doing it for 20 or 30 years and become a limited partner with them and let them worry about it. Let them figure out who takes the 2 a.m. call, whether it's their management group or they have an outside group. And typically, if you can find, I refer to it as a good horse. If you can find a good horse to ride, a professional investment group, development group, 
you can get yourself six, seven to nine percent current yield mm-hmm. right out of the bat, and ultimately a fourteen to seventeen, maybe even higher return. Mm-hmm. And that moratorium issue is I'm not have to worry. I'm not worried about it. The other guy's got to worry about it. That's that's interesting. We had uh, was it um, Van West Partners on here a while back, and they do that. They're fairly young in the space, but it was really interesting to learn because we have similar structures here. But um, very interesting to learn how smaller management firms are starting to pool capital and be able to help in that space is more of a passive investment. And 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 you know, so let's let's point out a, a few things in that passive investment. Um, or juxtaposition the active to the passive. I'm giving up, my brother and I, we're giving up 6% of our income mm-hmm. because we don't want to take the call. So our seven or eight or 9% cash flow is, is really more significant than that. We're just giving it up. Um, on the other hand, if you invest with someone else, presumably you're investing with what I would call the first team. And frankly, my brother and I are not the first team. <laughs> just not. I mean, I go to work every day as an investment banker <laughs> when I'm not skiing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's call a spade a spade. Um, <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I think we've leaked some money mm-hmm. because we're not as good at it. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the things we've spent time thinking about now. And in the end of the day, when you sit back and you do your refi and you say, well, we're going to take out like 40% in our case, about almost 40% of our capital. And our cash flow is going to go down 12, 14%. Still not that much. We're still going to have pretty good cash flow here. And now I have a chunk of money over here to go buy two more, pro- you know, two more buildings. Mm-hmm. You know, another 15, 20 units. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, you're pulling your hair out and you're unhappy and, and you give a moratorium and, you know, all these things. And we don't think we're that good at it and say, whoa, it's an awful lot of money we're getting for our cash refi. Maybe <laughs> we're not that bad at this. <laughs> That's awesome. Not because we're so good. But because of what I said in the beginning of the conversation, you made the money on the buy. Business. It's pretty simple business. You know, it's not, you know, I, again, I used to manufacture widgets and we had a lot of parts that went in it. You know, and it, if you didn't have part number one to go into part number two, the flow of the process and, you know, we're all listening to supply chain problems going on. I lived in that world. Really not that hard. Mrs. Jones wants to move out in a month. She gives you notice. You put advertisements up. You've got six weeks to bring someone in. You renovate the unit and paint it and repair it and make it ready for the next tenant. It's just not that hard. You know, it's just, it's, um, it's a slower moving business. Well, depending on strategy, I know some people that move pretty quickly. <laughs> but uh, I prefer slow and, and, and uh, steady. Well, well, because because again, the the, the conversation and, and what what I'm doing yeah. is long term value. What Jonathan was saying, um, steady cash flows, long term value, a long term play. Not, I've got a hedge fund with a hundred million dollars, and 
I'm going to make the $200 million really quick, or it's going to be $30 million. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's the best way to make a small fortune? Start with a large a one. Large one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so David, we got to wrap this up. We're reaching uh, our hour here. Anything you want to talk, uh, you want to say to our listeners about um, owning, getting started, or what's going to be happening in the market in the very near future? Predictions. Yeah, there, there, there actually is. It's, it's, it's one, one thing I would say. Um, and, and I really would suggest this really in, in, in to, to take this thought into, into the larger areas of your life, whether it's investing or research or work, have some humility when you go into it. Mm. Recognize you don't know everything in particular for starting and, and, and have some humility. You, you know, don't try to hit a single. You know, in, in, in American terms, try to hit a single. Don't, don't go in trying to hit a home run. Um, you know, you don't need a hat trick. You know, one assist would be pretty good. <laughs> you, you flipped over a Canadian forester. I love it. I just <laughs> thought, it would be, I thought it would be helpful. I mean, I, 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 saw, I saw both of your eyes with uh, I think <laughs> What's the exchange rate on that? <laughs> well, three, three to one. Is that when you said single versus a hat trick? Gotcha. <laughs> that was awesome. Thanks. <laughs> Ah, you slay me. I love it, brother. Well, David, thank you so much. I don't know if there's much uh, um, you look for from from audience members, but is there anything that people can reach out to you for advice, help? I'd be business? happy to answer. Shoot, shoot me an email. I'm happy to answer. I'm, you know, I, uh, it's a little like uh, the, the way I see the skiing world. So I'll, I'll leave you on those thoughts. Um, I, I love people to be involved with skiing. So yep. however I can help someone, if I can grab your skis and I can, you know, make you smile and point out that that runs the easy run. It's the same thing when it comes to investing. I'd like people to do well. And, you know, it's paying things forward is probably not a bad thought process in life. So if you can help somebody out in a three, four, five minute correspondence, that's kind of a nice thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. So how do people get a hold of you? I'd give you my email. So that's D Hirsch, H-I-R-S-C-H, the number three, nine at gmail.com. Fantastic. Get back to you. Thanks so much, David. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate your time. And uh, can't wait to have you on again. That was fun. Thank you for, thank you for listening with you both. Yeah. yeah, no, it's fun. This is awesome. I'm glad we got you on here. And thank you for listening. We hope we provided a ton of value for your time. Uh, if you want to go hold David, you heard his email there. And uh, if you want to know more about us, you can certainly download one of our books, uh, investmentpropertyincomebook.com or major marketing mistakes at guide to the grind.com. David, again, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you. Jonathan, you were very lively today, and I appreciate all of your energy. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Where does it come from? (laughs) (laughs) And we'll see you next time.